my whole goal with us in technology is to build more equity for underrepresented people. Equity is ownership. Ownership is power. If you don't got equity, if you don't got ownership, you don't got nothing in this world. And there's a lot of programs that teach underrepresented people how to be consumers. I want to teach them how to be owners. I'm George Committee, and this is First Watch. Today's guest is Kendrick Trotter, founder and CEO of Us and Technology. Kendrick's story is remarkable. After playing Division I college football, he moved back home to the Bay Area and took up work as an Uber driver. A chance encounter in that job led to a new sales career in cybersecurity where he saw rapid success. In lieu of climbing the corporate ladder, Kendrick saw a different opportunity. His story and his company are a testament to the power of imaginative capability. Who we imagine working in tech the possibilities underrepresented communities can imagine for themselves and what we can do together to close the cybersecurity talent gap. There's no time to waste. Let's get into it. Kendrick Trotter, welcome to First Watch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a long time coming, so let's uh, let's make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, obvious place to start is with your journey into tech. Um, I think some people know your origin story, but I want to get it out there because I think it's critical to understanding the larger mission of what you're doing. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm actually in Norfolk, Virginia for a pitch competition. So I've been working on this, uh, condensing this story uh, a lot more than what it was originally. So for me, where I'm from, if you want to make six figures, you have three options. You either play sports, you become a rapper, or unfortunately you get into the streets. And it wasn't until I became an Uber driver, I'm at the VP of sales for AWS, Josh Berezin, that I learned there could be another route. So after playing college football um, and coming back home, didn't really know what it, what it was I wanted to do for career. So that's when I started to become an Uber driver. Um, when I met Josh Berezin, I was taking him to buy a house and hmm. he began telling me about the opportunities in tech. And I told him, you know, I can't be in tech. I don't know anything about tech. And he said, if you could study a playbook, you can study product knowledge. And I said, well, I want to make six figures by the time I'm 25. And no one that I knew in my network had made six figures. Mm -hmm. And he laughed at me and he said, kids make this an entry level positions. Um, so he had my interest, uh, pulled over, popped my trunk, gave him my resume, which was horrible. He kind of laughed at me. And then he told me about a platform I had never heard of before called LinkedIn. Um, he helped me to create a profile. And a few days later, I had literally landed my first tech job. And within nice. three years of being in a space, I transformed from being an entry-level sales rep with a salary of $40,000 to becoming a major account rep for a public cybersecurity company, uh, managing accounts like eBay, Salesforce, uh, Workday, Twitter, mm. and having an opportunity to make more than $300,000. So um, the salary didn't necessarily fulfill me because I knew there were millions of others just like myself that just needed guidance. And uh, as I started making this money, I was spending the money, traveling, uh, got myself a nice car. And a lot of people on my personal social media started reaching out saying, what do you do? And I said, mm -hmm. well, let me tell you about this secret called the tech industry. And so mm -hmm. I really started off by mentoring my best friends. Um, and it grew from my best friends to people in their networks. And it went from five to 10 to now us and technology as a community of more than 12,000 members. So 
our whole goal is that, you know, tech companies are losing time, revenue, and brand credibility because of their inability to locate and hire underrepresented people. At Essen Technology, we not only find diverse candidates that aren't currently a part of the hiring pipeline today, but we also train and prepare them for success before connecting them with companies that are looking to hire. Nice. Yeah, so I, I want to dig in. I feel like the simple question would be, you know, another person in your position might just kind of stay in the in the high zone, right? Like I'm making it in sales, you know, they're going to keep working their way up, jump from job to job and just crush it in sales. And so I guess yeah. the easy question is, you know, why not stick there? Can you explore a little bit about that entrepreneurial impulse? Like what was that, you know, put it all down and start from scratch and start something new? Yeah, that, you know, I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I never started my career with the ambitions to be an entrepreneur. I didn't really understand what the term entrepreneur meant until probably about three years ago. Mm -hmm. My definition of what I thought an entrepreneur was personally uh, kind of reminds me of the movie Soul Plane with Kevin Hart. <laughs> yeah. And he's in, he's in court and they're like, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. Like, so you don't have a job. And he's like, no, I'm an, he's a, I'm an entrepreneur. And so my definition was like, my assumption was like, okay, entrepreneur was a fancy way of saying you just don't have a job. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way that this happened is my whole life, I've always known that I had a passion for helping other people. My mom does foster care. So we've been foster parents some more mm -hmm. than 20 plus kids. And so I always knew my mission was to help others. I just didn't necessarily know um, how I would make my own platform or how that would ever make any money. And so it's interesting how this came about because I was volunteering my time for us in technology, just helping people out for free for probably about a year. Mm -hmm. And then I finally started making some money um, where companies were paying me a placement fee. And the company that I was working at, they wanted to hire people from us in technology. And that's where it got a little messy. Um, they said, hey, we see what you're doing on LinkedIn. We would love to hire someone from your company. And do you have anyone? And so they ended up hiring three people from my program. And they said, wow, Kendrick, that was amazing. And uh, we'll send you over a referral fee. Referral fee is like $1,000. I was like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, that's actually $10,000 per hire. They're like, what? Like, what the heck? Like, people are actually paying you that? I was like, yeah, a lot of people. And so it actually got into this conflict of interest mm -hmm. uh, because they said, well, Kendrick, this is a conflict of interest because if you are sourcing to other competitors, that could be a conflict. I said, okay, well, let me know who you don't want me to source to. And they said, well, Kendrick, regardless of who you're sourcing to, it's a liability problem because if someone has a bad experience with you, they're going to tie it back into us. And so that was really tough because I was in a position to make even more money. My sales leadership they were like, Kendrick, I don't care what you do on your free time. Just don't stop hitting quota. Right. Right. Like, right. Make, That's like, you, like true sales leaders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, we, we can make you a contractor. Um, and then one of my really good mentors, he told me, he said, Kendrick, you're already doing really well in corporate America. You're on pace to become, you know, a VP of sales, a CRO fairly quickly. If I were you, I wouldn't walk away from that. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I really respected that. And so it took me a few days. And uh, ultimately, I came back and I said, you know, like, I'd rather say I tried than say I didn't. And so I never pursued us in technology chasing money, right? Like, I'm not oblivious to the money, but it was never my original goal. And I never pursued it because I thought that I was an entrepreneur. I simply just pursued it because I just felt like I had a responsibility and a duty to help other people like myself. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of how it all happened. That's cool. Um, I'm going to get into us and technology in a bit, but I think, you know, what really stands out from your initial story and then some of these other stories I've heard is the kind of aura around tech and it's the ability to imagine that it's not just coding, right? So, you know, that guy was right. If you can memorize a D1 football playbook, you know, you can memorize a sales playbook. And I think yeah. other roles, there's customer service, there's product management. There's like a lot of roles that require skills that aren't necessarily like, I know how to code in eight different languages, you know, mm-hmm. and I and I, I think it's part of kind of breaking that aura is what's going to help fill a lot of talent pipeline problems. Yes. Yes, I, I think that um, you have to meet people where they are. Right. And one of the excuses that I just don't think is valid anymore is people claiming that they don't know where underrepresented talent is. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we looked, we looked, we couldn't find them. It's like, that's not true. You know, it's not like people (laughs) are hiding. It's not like people are hiding under a rock. But the number one talent pool for most tech companies is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. But if you're already on LinkedIn, you're probably already in the space. So what we've learned is that 70% of our 12,000 members that are part of our community, they didn't have a LinkedIn profile until after they interacted with us in technology. For sure. So they were actually just like Kendrick, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know about LinkedIn. So I think if companies are more intentional about where it is they recruited, we would see a difference. But we can't keep leveraging the same tools expecting a different response. So some people ask me sometimes when I'm pitching, well, how will you compete with LinkedIn? Well, how am I competing with LinkedIn? Right, LinkedIn has been around more than 10, 15 years and the industry is only 1.3% African-American, 3.3% Black, like 24% women. Like, is that really competition? Is that someone who's resolving this problem? So I think that we just have to think different if we want different. Yeah, for sure. And also to say nothing of circles within circles, right? You could be on LinkedIn, but if your network is all of one kind, I mean, you can just compound the problem. I mean, this, we can go before LinkedIn, right? I worked for a company and I had a lot of conversations about this and they kept saying like, well, we're going to the college fairs. And I'm like, what colleges are you going to? Are you going to the colleges that are pulling just from like affluent suburbs? Then you're kind of compounding the bias that comes down through the college pipeline, yeah. you know, are we, are we going to schools in Washington, DC? Are we going into schools in Richmond, Virginia, like VCU? Are we going, yeah. any, where's the representation at the source, right? You got to go really upstream. Um, exactly. But I want to, I want to get to us in technology. So you mentioned, I, I remember talking with you before and I understood the platform, but you also mentioned you do some job training. So can you walk us through kind of the 
the life cycle of somebody who comes and joins your platform? Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, like I said earlier at SM technology, we not only find diverse candidates that aren't a part of the hiring pipeline today, but we also train and prepare them for success before connecting them with companies that are looking to hire. So our members are typically career transitioners who assume tech roles are limited to just hard skill positions. Mm-hmm. But after completing our tech starter program, they usually have the opportunity to receive their first job within three to five weeks of being in our program. So the tech starter program is accumulation of, of self-paced learning modules, as well as live interview coaching sessions. So for individuals like myself who knew nothing about LinkedIn, knew nothing about the tech industry, a lot of us apply for jobs and then we're screened out before we ever have the opportunity to be screened in. For sure. Simple language that's used mm-hmm. on our resume. It could be not having a LinkedIn profile. So we help people to create a physical and a digital resume. We help people understand um, interview techniques like STAR methodology. We help people understand the different roles and responsibilities in a um, in a SaaS industry. And we also help people to understand that there are, um, you know, different ways to tell your story and that you likely already have relative skills, but just understanding how to deliver those relative skills in your storytelling is what's going to resonate with the interviewer. Awesome. That's great. So can you catch us up on where Awesome Technology stands today? Like, where are you in the startup journey? I know when we first met you i think you'd had some angel investing but like where are you in startup land (laughs) yeah so um startup land is always changing always yeah um so for us just transparently speaking our first year we're mostly a services business Mm -hmm. right um which i think is actually more valuable than invaluable because the last word in SaaS is service So a lot of people are so focused on building the software, but it doesn't deliver the service. Mm -hmm. We focused on prioritizing delivering the service and then working backwards into building a software, which I think is the better plan because after you've delivered the service, you know what types of software needs to be built or doesn't need to be built. So um, we pretty much kicked butt doing that our first year, placed over 140 people directly. Annual salary a year was like $71,000 which is huge because the average medium income for a U.S. citizen is, I believe, like Mm -hmm. $60,000. And so then we started fundraising with angel investors. Fundraising with angel investors was extremely hard, mostly because of my lack of a network. I didn't really have people I could go and just ask for $50,000. And, you know, being pre-product, trying to get a VC to invest in you, is extremely difficult. Yep. So one of the VCs who was actually supportive of me, but didn't invest, um, you know, I asked her for advice and she said, Kendrick, you need to stop asking people for money who don't look like you. She said, at this stage, everyone's investing in a founder and people typically feel more comfortable with people who look similar to themselves. And so then I changed my approach to, to um, reaching out to more like minority angel investors And I secured my first angel investor through like a warm contact. And then my very first CEO and founder had recently had an exit. Older white male invested in me right away. 
not only did he invest in me right away, he became my executive coach. We meet probably like twice a week. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to like five or six other angel investors. I mean, this is the and power so, of the network, right? It's like you got to get, this is gotta the power get the through network. the door. This is the power of the network. Um, and, you know, it's amazing the friendship and relationship that we've been able to build and the amount that I've been able to learn from him. But I think the power to network piece is valuable because the reality is my conversion rate of meetings to investors was very high. Mm -hmm. My amount of first meetings was actually very low. And because I didn't have the personal network, I had to leverage the networks of others, Mm -hmm. um, which ultimately helped me to get my goal. So we raised over 700K in our angel round. Um, We just did a pitch competition with black ambition and nice secure uh $50,000 so that's going to put us almost at $800,000 in total raised uh capital and a lot of that capital went to the production of our minimal viable product um and now we're preparing for our seed round so we've delivered the service we have the product um now we're prepared to scale and we think right now is the best time if you're going to invest in anything it should be real estate are a recruiting company because uh, these are things that are destined to rise back up as the economy eventually turns around. Yeah, for sure. Um, Cool. So as we round here towards the end, could you speak briefly on like, what is your focus in the next six months versus the next 12 months, right? The time horizon in startup land is also always shifting priorities. Yeah. So I'm happy I have an answer to that. The next six months, I want us to be obsessed with building. Mm -hmm. You can only go as far as your foundation. You can only go as high as your ceiling. I want us to strengthen our foundation, and I want us to rip off our ceiling. And the way that we do that is by enhancing our product and preparing it for scale and preparing it to be um, automated in some of the ways that the processes are already manual. We've had growth of more than 12,000 members, but I'm very confident that if we get our mobile app on the app store, mm-hmm. that will triple in the next 10 to 12 months. 100%. So in the first six months, I'll say I'm, I'm obsessed with growing and develop, uh, not growing, uh, strengthening our foundation and ripping off our ceiling. The second half of those six months is I want to start growing, right? I'm not going to say scaling. I'm going to say growing because we want to have intentional growth. And a lot of people who grow too fast are growing without no direction. So Mm -hmm. they end up falling. And I want us to move with velocity, which is speed in a given direction. So the first six months will be building. The second six months will be growing on that platform. When I say growth, I mean scaling our revenue. Um, growing our user engagement on the platform and that way ultimately having the opportunity to be cash flow positive in the next um, 12 to 15 months allowing us to have control over you know predicting our our future from then on Mm -hmm. that's great um yeah i just want to congratulate you it's a long journey but also um what you're doing, I think is very vital. And let me just point out the obvious in case that needs to be stated. I mean, entering a job market from 
having no LinkedIn presence to 70,000 is the median salary for many of these communities yeah. is like generational trajectory changing, right? You can change the entire wealth trajectory of a family. Uh, and I think it's a very worthy cause. I think um, even bigger than a family, a whole demographic of people. Yeah. Right. Like my whole goal with us in technology is to build more equity for underrepresented people. Equity is ownership. Ownership is power. If you don't got yeah. equity, if you don't got ownership, you don't got nothing in this world. And there's a lot of programs that teach underrepresented people how to be consumers. I want mm -hmm. to teach them how to be owners. Right. That's awesome. And with the tech industry being top five, highest paid industry in the world, I think this is truly our opportunity and our vehicle to do that. And it's funny the things that could be, you know, improved by having access to more income, like health. 70% of our placements said they they got an improvement in their health benefits. That yeah. means that now they now have the opportunity to improve their lifespan. Right. A lot of people will sometimes make statements like diabetes is a race thing or people who are mm -hmm. minorities have higher chances of diabetes, but that's not true. It's not a melanin problem. It's a problem of access to capital. So they consume unhealthier foods. So in consuming unhealthier foods, naturally your lifespan is probably going to be more at risk. By putting these people in different tax brackets, giving them access to capital, people can now choose what schools they go to. They can choose what foods they can consume. They can also choose what healthcare providers that they work with, you know? So it's, it's much bigger for me personally than just access to jobs. It's what's happening after that to the rest of the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Kendrick, I know you're busy. You're on the road. Um, but I want to thank you for taking the time uh, early in your morning in a different time zone uh, to talk with us. Thank you. And we'll be curious to hear, I guess it's 30 seconds. I know I was, a little late. Why are you doing this? Um, you've reached out to me several times. I was slow on responses. Even today, you gave me a call to make sure I was jumping on. Why are you doing this? Oh, good, good call. I don't ever have the questions put to me. So, um, I, you know, the first time I heard you was on the fireside chat on Clubhouse, uh, hosted by Tomas Maldonado, and I know you know Katie Hanahan, and I was just taken with the solution. That was a technological solution rather than, you know, yeah. like a nonprofit solution or something like that. And that it was kind of supercharging the VC capital model yeah. to correct and address an issue that is, I think, extremely important because we already ha we have a talent shortage, at least in cybersecurity. But I also believe that, quote unquote, talent shortage is much of our own design. Right. As you said, people out there, talent out there. But we're just sort of creating our own roadblocks. Yeah. And I just wanted this community to hear that story and to hear more about us and technology. I kind of shout it from the rooftops wherever I yeah. go. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to have you on. I wanted to share that. I appreciate you so much, man. Cool. All right. Well, good luck with the next few months and uh, we'll check back in. Let's do it. Thanks again, George. That's it for First Watch today. Many thanks to my guest, Kendrick Trotter. To hear more interviews with cybersecurity leaders, entrepreneurs, and spotlight episodes on newcomers, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts.
First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Mattia Safaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.